Welcome to the show. It's Friday, so that means I'm out, and it's also hashtag FOF, or F-O-F, Friends on Fridays. This Friday, we will broadcast John Zipper's week-to-week show. The program today is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now here's Week to Week with John Zipperer. I'm John Zipperer, the host of the Commonwealth Club's Week to Week Politics Program. You can find out more about Week to Week and all of the Commonwealth Club's many programs, including videos and audio, at CommonwealthClub.org. Now let's join this week's program. It's now my pleasure to introduce tonight's speaker, Lavi Ajayi. Lovey is the author of the incredibly funny and insightful New York Times bestseller, recently bestseller, so congratulations. I'm judging you. The Do Better Manual. She's been a blogger for more than 13 years, and her blogs, Awesomely Lovey and Awesomely Techie, draw more than half a million readers. She writes and speaks eloquently and hilariously on topics from social media to social justice to pop culture, everywhere from Blogger to TED to the White House. And she's the executive director of the Red Pump Project, which raises awareness of the impact of HIV and AIDS on women and girls. She will leave you crying with laughter, slay a red shoe, and teach us all just how to do a little bit better each and every day. To put it simply, and in the parlance of our times, Lovey is the goat, and I'm honored to welcome her here to San Francisco and inform tonight. Please welcome Michelle Parham and Lovey to the stage. So how lucky am I? Oh my God, that was like a dope intro. I know, okay. can I like, can I live up to the hype? Lord, <laughs> lower your expectations, everybody. <laughs> so, so how I'm envisioning this mm-hmm. is we're just sitting in my living room yes. and we're gonna have a conversation and then there just might be people watching us. Yes, okay. And listening to everything we say. All right. They might be live tweeting it. They might be doing whatever they need to do. But the fact is that <laughs> you and I are just going to have a conversation and we'll let some folks eavesdrop. Cool. Does that work for you all? Yeah. All right. So, so I am thrilled, 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 thrilled to be here. And you all, are, I know, are excited to be here too. Lovey is absolutely amazing. So she and I, had we had our first conversation over the summer, right? Yeah. At the beginning of the summer, yeah. right, right before the book was coming out. And I yep. said, I want to do whatever I can to be there for you. And there was only one stipulation. Do you remember what the stipulation was? No. You had to, <laughs> you had to send me a book. Oh, yeah. Do you remember? Yes. Yeah, this, and then there's all the drama about how do you get the book to me and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. the fact is, is that's how Because we... Rochelle is fancy, okay? Wow. I was like, Rochelle, how do I get this book to you? Well, I don't get home for three weeks. I'm at the vineyard. And I was like... <laughs> Oh, okay, girl. Um. <laughs> that is true. I was She's on the like, vineyard. I am fancy. But yes. it, ca- it, it got to me, and it was amazing. <laughs> so I read my book over the summer, and now I'm sitting here chatting with you about your book. It's kind of crazy. This is awesome. And so here's the thing I need to understand. Yes. Who are you? I thought you were going to ask me, why are you like this? No, 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 no. I'm asking you that later. I'm going to ask you that later. So... Where, tell us, <laughs> tell us your story. Like, where did you come from? How did you become? <laughs> See, why you are you are? like this? Essentially, no, no, no. I'm gonna get to the why you're like this. I promise <laughs> you. I, trust me. I got notes. Um, okay, so my story. Yeah. I born in Nigeria, and I came to the U.S. when I was nine. Nobody told me we were coming here. 
I thought we were going on vacation and then I got enrolled in school and I was like, oh, so we're staying. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody asked me for opinions or nothing. Um, I, I am the child of proud, well-to-do people who raised me to be honest about life and who raised me to kind of walk in a room and be able to own that room. And um, I was raised to not have doubt about who I am. So that's who I am. And that's who's sitting in front of you. And so what did you want to be when you grow up? Like, so with this nine-year-old little girl who shows up and enrolled in school that she didn't know she was going to go to, like, who did you want to be? Like, what did you want to do? <laughs> I wanted to be a doctor. So growing up, everybody was like, you should be a doctor. Because I was somebody who was a nerd. I loved to read. And just, I kept on hearing it. Like, from the time I was like three or four, everyone was like, you're going to be a doctor. So I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. Thinking that's what I wanted to be. And, um... I wholeheartedly believed that I was going to be a doctor because I'm like, yes, I'm smart. I could do that. <laughs> and then I got to college. My uh, major going in was psychology pre-med. And then my first semester of college, I took chemistry and got my first D <laughs> of my academic career. And I was like, you know what? I don't even like hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to work. I was like, <laughs> I'll be the doctor who's like, can, can I not work in the hospital? So like, after that first semester, and I actually tried. So I was used to getting A's by doing zero. Like, I didn't even really try, and it just came to me. So I actually tried in chemistry, and I still got this D. And I was like, I actually went to go see my professor and went to office hours and everything. So I dropped the pre-med, and I didn't tell my mom. Oh. She showed up at graduation and found out I didn't drop the pre-med. That's exactly what happened. I didn't tell her I dropped the pre-med until she showed up at graduation. <laughs> It's a long time to wait. And it was just psychology. She was like, all right, okay. And I was just like, I wonder if they're gonna notice I'm not pre-med anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, it was, um, I, I had the, that come, come to Jesus moment with myself where I was like, okay, what do I really wanna do? And the psychology I actually did want to pursue. I love psychology. So I was one of the few in my group of friends who started with one major and actually stayed within it. So I dropped the psychology, I mean the pre-med, but I kept the psych. So I thought I was gonna be doing um, going to grad school and doing um, either industrial organizational psychology or counseling yeah. psych. Okay. And I actually spent two and a half years in college as a counseling center paraprofessional. So my goal was like, go to grad school, get this like master's or PhD, and be the person helping people. As you see, that never happened. You are helping people. I'm you helping help people, people but every day. psychology didn't happen. Um, but I just love this, the subject, though. So I think it, it's still in my spirit, maybe. I'm too ratchet to be a psychologist, though. I can't <laughs> I'll be up there giving my people side eye. This used to be like neutral, like tell me more. And I'll be up there, why are you doing that? But, but I think the honesty matters, right? I mean, there's a whole bunch of folks that are feeding a bunch of crap to people. This I mean, is the true. fact is, is you could be just I'll be giving like, people the be like, truth. They'll be like, go to Dr. Lovey, she's gonna tell you about your life. And I'll literally be the person who's like, you should not do that. That's terrible. <laughs> Yeah. I, so I like that. I like that. So, so our stories are a little similar. I wasn't supposed to be a doctor. Uh, I had never planned to be a doctor, but I always knew I was going to be a, a marketer. I knew that I was going to be a marketer and I was going to be in business and I was going to run something. I knew that was kind of what I was going to do. And so I went to school and I was a marketing major. Like I did it. You know what's with, funny? Even though I'm, I wasn't a marketing major, I've been in marketing since sophomore year of college. I got a marketing internship, fell in love with it. And that's how I end up doing like marketing and digital communications. Because it's fun. It's, it's so fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the cool role. It yeah. is. 
It's the cool, sexy part of every company. It is. You need us. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> I understand. So, so when did you start writing? So did uh, you, were you writing all along? Like, do, tell us about kind of the writing piece. So writing happened because, let me see, uh, my sophomore year, my friend was the editor-in-chief of the Daily Lanai, mm -hmm. and she was the first black editor-in-chief of the school paper ever. And somehow, I don't know how, she was just like, I just know you're a really good writer. I need you to be a columnist on the paper. And I was like, all right. Shout out to nepotism. Because um, <laughs> she literally was like, just come write for me. And I was like, oh, yeah. So back of the paper, every Wednesday, I had a column, advice column. And people would stop me on campus and be like, I saw your advice column. That was really good. And I'm like, all right. So my friends were just like, you should start a weblog. Back then, it was called weblogging. And, <laughs> and it was 2003. And I was like, all right. So I went on Zanga. Remember Zanga? <laughs> Did I just date myself? Fine. I went on Zanga, I got a blog, and I think it was called something like, Consider This the Letter I Never Wrote. It was just emo and terrible. And <laughs> I was writing about college life, roommate issues, exams I wasn't studying for, the D I got in chemistry. If my mom was reading my blog, she'd know I dropped pre-med. <laughs> <laughs> so I had this blog, and people kept on reading it. Me and my friends are full of shenanigans, and we are goofy in everything we do, so we started writing this, like, random blog posts and people started liking it and I kept on doing it because I just liked it. And that's how blogging started for me. I deleted that blog when I graduated in 2006 and started a new blog. And I went to Blogspot and I was like, I have outgrown the college blog with Comic Sans. Let's delete that. <laughs> I did. Okay, I'm a big enough person to admit my mistakes. Like, <laughs> that's awesome. I deleted that blog and I started what, well, it was Lovey's Random Rants was what it was first called. And that's the blog that became um, awesomelylovey.com. I launched it on August 8th, 2006. So my blog turned 10 years old this year. Wow. That's awesome. So, so I have another coincidence. Yes. I wrote an advice column. Really? And I'm just, I mean, it's all coming to me. It's like this, I feel like you're my therapist. See, it's all working out. <laughs> you're doing exactly what you were supposed on, to do. Come on, spirit twin. So, yes. In high school, okay. before you were even born, um, I wrote an advice column called Ask Twyla. Really? Okay, so what, how, how did that go? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went to a private girl's school, so okay. you can imagine our, our questions, you oh, know. God. So they were very, you know, there was stuff about boys, stuff about class, stuff about, you know, it was high school. Right. It's high school. It was in wow. you know, nowhere near kind of where you are. And it was, you know, it was a long, 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 long time ago. But that's interesting, though. The fact that that mirrors it. Look Ask Twyla. Look at that. See? See, I was like, I think, I don't know what my column was called. But I remember I, re I read an old thing that I wrote. And it feels very true to me today. Like, I was writing about back to school blues. Like, I know we back from vacation. And I know we don't want to go to class. But here's why you need to go to class, because like, your refund check won't come if you don't go. Like, I was, that <laughs> I was that person that was like, look, OK, go to class, all right? Don't skip uh, discussion. You can skip the lecture. I was terrible. I don't even know. Why did they give me an, a column? So, so, here, so here's my question then. So you are so honest mm -hmm. and so blunt. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, tell it like it is. Sure. Where does that come from? By Nigerian-ness. <laughs> so, Nigerians happen to be the, some of the least filtered people on the face of this earth. <laughs> like, we don't have behavior in Kuth. Because, <laughs> yeah. 
like growing up, so I was actually having this conversation with somebody else who's Nigerian today when I went to um, Google. We were talking about how we have such thick skins because we've heard worse from the people we know <laughs> beyond anything anybody in a room when we walk in can tell us. So, so like, being, like Nigerians, we don't sugarcoat much. Example, my mom, bless her heart, she is the shadiest lady <laughs> on this earth, but she is so sweet that she wouldn't even, like her shade feels like sugar until you realize it's kind of sour. <laughs> so for example, my, my mom walks into a room one day and sees my cousin, and she walks up to my cousin like, and she goes, you got fat, are you pregnant? <laughs> I was like, mom, she was. <laughs> yes. Walk up to somebody, but that's how we roll. Like, we'll be like, those shoes are terrible. You should go change that. Like, Christmas, we sit up there roasting each other all day, every day. Just being like, I walk in, like, my sister would be like, that sweater is awful. You should go change. That's terrible. And we'd be like, all right, you're right. So, um, <laughs> we, for us, honesty is like key. And also, we don't like to like lie to your face. So, for me, that's how I grew up. Like, seeing people tell you how they felt in person. And, you kind of took it. We're not that sensitive. Also, it's a cultural thing. Okay, communication is a cultural thing. That's also what people need to understand. And me as a Nigerian, that piece of me is still here. It's what allows me to be very blunt sometimes. When people are like, did you just tell her no? I did. But I think it's really important to like... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really important to be the person who people can understand that this is honesty. Like, yeah. they don't have to question you. They don't have to be like, is this person trying to lie to me? If I walk up to my friends and I was like, your shoes are amazing, they, can, they know it's amazing. I meant it. I'm very, like, say what you mean, mean what you say. So, yeah, I'll say the shady Nigerian-ness. And, and so have you ever written something or said something and said, oh, crap, why did I say that? Like, yeah. Or, or wish you could take it back and now you can't? Yup. Give me... Give me. <laughs> I, tell me a time when you wrote something that you were like, I cannot believe I like, wrote that. Like, why am I uh -oh. so full of shenanigans all the time? Um, so the thing about blogging for such a long time is that it chronicles my growth as a human being and as a person, as somebody who thinks critically about the world. So actively, there are things that I wrote back in the day that I vehemently disagree with now. Like, there are things that I believed and thought was my business that I wouldn't even care about today. Or... Um, points that I would make that I would be like, that's so wrong. So I've definitely become more liberal. Um, coming here from, the, from um, Nigeria, I didn't have a lot of context about race, example. So I never identified as black until I came to the US because the concept of blackness was never a thing. Yeah. Because over there is the default to be black. So you don't have to define it. So I didn't even understand what black was until I was, came here. And even then, um, I didn't understand, like, you know, I didn't know the concept of slavery. I didn't know the concept of the Middle Passage. So coming here, I was like, all right, cool. There's, like, people who look like me and people who don't. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Hey, it's Michelle Miao. It's hard these days not to get a question about when I'm getting married or when I'm having kids. I get it. Marriage equality is legal now. I'm in my 30s and in a committed relationship. Marriage may not have a time limit, but what about having kids? 
I have a lot I want to accomplish before growing my family, like becoming the next Oprah. If I want to wait, what are my options? Join myself and our partner Pacific Fertility Center for a free seminar on egg freezing November 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. Register at PacificFertilityCenter.com. Space is limited, so register now. That's PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. Um, when I graduated from high school, actually, my junior or senior year of high school, I did a couple of essay contests that I actually won. And I won like NAACP Axo Award for this mm. essay and something else. I can't remember another, like I ended up winning money. And the essay was... Um, do you think black people should, have repara- should get repara- reparations? And I was like, no, you didn't work for it. <laughs> and I won awards. <laughs> like, people were like, yes, great point. <laughs> and I, th- I thought back, like when I was in college, college really changed the game for me in terms of who I am today and, and my ideas, my politics because that's when I was able to take black history classes. That's when I was able to be challenged in my opinion. And it also made me think about the fact that a lot of immigrants who come here come when they're older. And they don't get a chance to be in college and take the history of US women or uh, race and ethnicity 101 or I took a lot of those. And by the time I left college, I was such a different person in terms of how I thought. But then it also made me think about just the idea that like we are battling adults who don't get the same context. Mm -hmm. So when Africans come here, especially West Africans, who come here, we're doctors back home, come here, have to start over because your degree don't count here, and you start as a cab driver, and somehow you end up as a doctor still. Why? Because you came and you carried some of that defaultness with you. You didn't come with extra burdens that kind of like sat you down. Mm -hmm. So that was definitely a huge shift in my consciousness. and then in terms of like shenanigan side, um, there were pieces that I wrote in like a while back. Okay, so when the whole Alicia Keys and Mashonda thing happened. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Alicia, why would you break up this? Man, what? First of all, I disagree completely with myself now. That's like, Do you okay. all know what she's talking about? No. Yeah, everybody's like, y'all. <laughs> But here's the thing, when I wrote that piece in what, 2008, 2007, it went viral and like people were like, yes, we love this piece. I think I like made it private on my site. 
I completely disagree with that now. It's like, here's the thing. Women always get the brunt of the blame when things, things like this happen. Jennifer Aniston has been getting, uh, no, Angelina Jolie has been getting uh, mad at Jennifer Aniston for 10 years. People still mad at Angelina. I'm like, Jennifer moved on. Why are you mad? So, you know, things like that. For me right now, I, I lean towards always siding with women, no matter what it is, because the world does the opposite. So, yeah, I've changed my life, you know. <laughs> I have. New person. So, so, the, I've, so I've read so many fun facts about you. Um, one of them and it's so interesting because I have all these people in my life that agree with something that you seem to be pretty passionate about. I have a group of... No Spirit Airlines? Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, Passionate. Look at, look at this. I'm no, passionate no. about that. I'm sorry. So I have <laughs> three of my really cr close friends absolutely love Sophia Petrillo. She is my... She's my Patronus. Like, she is me. My Patronus? She's my Patronus. Y'all know Harry Potter. To fend off the mentors, you gotta think about a happy memory. Sophia Petrillo's mine. Do you all know who Sophia Petrillo is from the Golden Girls? Yeah, yeah. I am with my people, yes. <laughs> so talk about so Sophia Petrillo. Like, what are the life lessons that she has taught you? Sophia has taught me that, one, you can't check old people. <laughs> <laughs> they can say whatever they wanna say, and they've been on this earth for 85 years, and you're not gonna check them. Uh, she's also taught me that you can be shady to the people around you lovingly. Um, I think that character, <laughs> that character is like what I, I probably heard like right now. Um, she was so funny, but yeah. she also like said what you were thinking, but you were like, let me not say it. Yes. But then Sophia said, and you was like, I'm glad she said that. <laughs> I'm essentially that person now. So yeah. That's why I love it. So my maternal grandmother is very similar to yes. Sophia Petrillo. And so may her soul rest in peace. Some of the funniest things that I've ever heard in my <laughs> life came out of her mouth. And one that, so there's some folks in, in the crowd who have probably heard the story a million times from me. But one of the things my grandmother said in talking about another family member and how quiet it got after she made this comment, she said, it got so quiet in there you could hear a mosquito on a cotton ball. Yes. Well, that's quiet. That's quiet. Yo! Old people are poets. Right, it's amazing. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. That is like poetic. Like, that is just... And it's I, like, so visual, it, right? And it's like, visual, exactly. It's so visual. And it's man. quiet. That's quiet. My grandma was shady, too. Oh, she was shady. But yeah, see, here's the thing, also about Nigerians. And so I grew up speaking both English and Yoruba equally. And Yoruba is a very metaphorical language that allows you kind of like bend stuff and compare stuff. And Yoruba allows you to be so shady. So that also helps when I'm doing English because I kind of use some of the concepts to create these ideas. And people are like, where did you just come up with that? Okay, so one's my sister. She's also shade savant, <laughs> you hear me? <laughs> Like some of the insults the Nigerians will throw at you are so creative that you like too impressed to be mad. <laughs> and you're like, dang, word, okay, I'm gonna take it. My sister called somebody, she said somebody looked like the sleeve of a shirt. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what's the logistics of that? How does that, that's just really fascinating. And then like we tend to, so first of all, my book is gonna teach people like a lot of like how to insult people. 
I'm really proud about that. Somebody said they read three chapters and already, already um, learned like 10 more insults. <laughs> I was watching <laughs> a video and somebody called somebody an intergalactic imbecile. Yeah. Like, but your you know stupidity is. is in the freaking galaxy. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, it's just impressive. We are an impressive people. So let, let's talk about your book. Oh, so yeah. So you have a New York Times bestseller. Yeah. Did you know you were going to have a New York Times bestseller? I wanted to have a New York Times bestseller. Uh, now y'all not going to, I'm not going to know how to act now. God, because you can't give me nice things. Um, <laughs> I, it's, it's been a huge goal of mine. Like, it's been the top thing. So anytime somebody asks me, like, what is a goal of yours? I've been like, I want to be a New York Times bestseller. And then it happened, like, the week my book came out. And I was like, oh, snap. It's anticlimactic, because what now? Because right. <laughs> well, I was like, now I need new goals. Oh, man. I didn't expect I was going to do it that quick. It happened <laughs> so fast. It happened fast. So, so this is the book. And my book is all <laughs> raggedy now. I actually need to go buy another book and have you sign that one too. Yes. Um, and so where do we begin? So, so you've taught so many lessons in this book. So right, I'm judging you the, the, the do better manual. Like yeah. we could do a lot better, right? All of us. What, what, what is the best lesson that you want every single person on this planet to know? Uh, I would say the best lesson is you can actually commit yourself to making the world better than you found it. And that's one thing that I want people to walk away from this book holding on to. Because a lot of times I feel like we're just one person. I'm not saying everyone has to start a nonprofit organization because anybody got time for that. I do apparently because I've had one for seven years. But everybody does not have that time and I'm not saying that's everyone's ministry. But everyone thinks if they can't do something on a grand scale, let me not do anything at all. Yeah. So we tend to just sit back and just be like, well, somebody else is going to do it the reason why the world is sucky is because we thought somebody else was going to do it, yeah. and they didn't. So we might as well be the ones doing something. So, yeah. So. So, so I have the same philosophy, and, and my words for that are, I want to know if I can touch it. If I touch it, I can make it better. Yes. You know, and, and, and there's so many things that we can touch and make better. Absolutely. And then there are so many people that we should just not touch at all. <laughs> With a 10-foot pole. Right? I can, I can think of one. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. So, so we're in the middle of this incredibly heated election. You've been kind of vocal about that. A little bit. Um, so, so one of the candidates... Hillary Clinton said that, that Donald has shown us who he really is. Like, who yeah. is he to you? He is a walking Cheeto. <laughs> that is who he is. A snack that you probably should not be eating. And you're like, why is it that color? Um, <laughs> can I just say, like, Donald Trump brings out, like, rage, like, deep rage within me because he is everything that is wrong with the world, one. Two, he's emblematic of everything that people hate about Americans. And three, he is walking white privilege, like white male privilege especially. So it's like this, I'm a cuss, it's this of, <laughs> a, like everything 
that is wrong with the world. You can see it in Donald Trump. And what enrages me is not the fact that he exists. What enrages me is the fact that he's amplified. And he has a platform. Like, this man should not even run a store, let alone a business, <laughs> let alone a country. And then he's standing on a stage next to Hillary Clinton, who, like her or not, she spent her life in doing public service. We owe her an apology because that fool shouldn't be next to nobody, let alone her. <laughs> so I'm just like, I don't know, y'all. Donald Trump is just a hot mess. So how's it gonna end? What's gonna happen? Listen, all right, we only have one option. And I know people are like heated about whether they like Hillary or not. We only have one option, protest vote the next time. Like, I ain't got time for that <laughs> now. <laughs> and then, and you know, people say things like, oh, him and Hillary the same. First of all, that's dumb. <laughs> Just, it's not even remotely close to true. Even if she's not a perfect candidate, she, we're gonna hold her feet to the fire because she has work to do, all right? She owes us some work. But to say they're the same person is to like say like the big bad wolf and freaking Little Red Riding Hood are the same person. Like, <laughs> he's gonna eat you, like no! <laughs> so I just think it's really important, one, for us to all vote this election. Also because 88% of Congress is up for re-election. Let's sweep all them fools out. Everybody gotta go, all right? And um, we gonna cry when the Obamas leave office. Like I might take a seven day leave on my bed. <laughs> I'll just like take to my bed for like a good seven days, like don't come to me. You know, I will weep. And then um, weep, because it's gonna be, it's been a really black White House, a really black year and then it's not gonna be black no more, and that's gonna hurt. So yeah, we have some stuff, we have some work to do though. So let's talk about Blacksit. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years, and uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now, because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis, is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? That's just always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity 
and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. Let me pull it up. <laughs> so, um, so I, I probably sent that post to <laughs> maybe 50 people. Are you serious? Honestly. Honestly. Do you guys know what Black Second is? <laughs> Turn down for what? So there are people in this audience that don't know what Black Second is. So, so after yeah. Brexit happened and... Also a hot mess. Yes, Absolutely. There was a lot of comments about if Trump were to go and be in office that you know, black folks were going to leave. Like, we had to leave. And, and people were talking about where they were going to go. We, we were, go- we're going to Costa Rica. Um, but, you know, that, every, you know, a lot of folks are going to Canada. A whole lot of folks, not just black folks. folks Canada about to build a wall against us. Right, exactly. Like, no, y'all can't come. And so Lovey has this incredible post about all the stuff that folks will miss in America when all the black folks leave. Um, and so, <laughs> and, and here she is. You're well, gonna- all right, so, <laughs> so um, Kinfo Collective, Salt Collective started this uh, post on Blacksit, and then I basically took it on a whole different level. So already they said we're, going, we're taking with us Beyonce, Oprah, Shonda. <laughs> we're taking soul food. Uh, so then my audience, because Love Nation is the t- most turnt, Decided to add to it, and um, so far we have jazz music, Little Richard, Dave Chappelle, y'all, I don't know, Sam Jackson, because he's the blackest person on the face of this earth. <laughs> Somebody said they um, were taking seasoning, okay? <laughs> um, we are, of course, taking Mother Cecily Tyson with us. Yes, Mother Cecily, she's gonna like rule over Blacksit. And then I insist that we're taking the butters with us, Shea and Coco. Uh, the Obamas, take, absolutely. Oh, at the Obamas, for sure. That's like, yeah. they're like running the ship, all right? <laughs> uh, we're gonna have to take peanut butter. Okay, uh, Denzel Washington, Idris Elba. Cause we're gonna have to recreate an amazing community. Uh, somebody said we're taking edges. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody said, y'all can keep Lauren Hill. <laughs> that hurt, that hurt, right? That hurt. <laughs> um, and, and then it got really real because then people started talking about what we're taking with us because black people invented it. So we're taking like traffic lights. We are taking um, the heart defibrillator. Yeah. Uh, we're taking t- computers and cell phones. Um, um, um. Vaccines, right? We got some vaccines in oh, there. Oh, yeah, some or... vaccines got to come with, all the hella cells coming with us. So every, all the cancer things coming with us, too. <laughs> so then my white readers decided <laughs> that they needed to negotiate with us some terms. <laughs> so they said, <laughs> 
Somebody said, oh my God, I think us white people are down to dried peas and smallpox. (laughs) 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 Somebody was like, okay, so the coalition is going to offer some specials on the five-day work week and brisket. (laughs) And then somebody was like, okay, we will give you Jesus. We want Sammy Davis Jr. (laughs) (laughs) And then the Asian said, we'll take the noodles. And the spaghetti and the ramen and the linguine. So it became a whole thing. And some, then the Asians also said they're taking chopsticks. So like white folks ain't gonna have nothing to eat with. <laughs> and oh, also Asians are taking threading. So y'all eyebrows gonna be jacked. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And my girl Rachel said, all we have left is NASCAR boiled meats and Conan O'Brien. <laughs> and mayonnaise. Y'all can keep, ma- well, but we need that for the potato salad, though. Yeah. So we might have to take mayonnaise because we need it for the potato salad for the picnics, and that's important. And, and we're also taking the good greens. We're going to leave kale behind. <laughs> yup. So, so what the, I read that and honestly sent it to 50 people. <laughs> honestly sent it to 50 people. Black so, was lit, yo. Like. So, <laughs> so, so there's something that you say which I think is incredibly powerful, and it is stand in your worth. Yeah. What does that mean? So stand in your worth, stand in your power, because especially women, and especially women of color, we're not taught to stand in our worth. We're taught to negotiate everything down as opposed to up. So we walk in a room, and people are like, oh, how much is your price for this? And you say it, and they want to negotiate you down, and you're told that you have no room to negotiate, that they might say no, so you don't. And for me, it's really important, especially as a woman who runs her own business. And writers don't think of ourselves as businesses sometimes, but we are. Um, stand in your worth and say no. So last year was my year of yes, this year, this year is my year of no. And no is a powerful thing because when you are able to walk away, you have the upper hand. So being able to be like, you know what, you can't afford me right now, I respect it. Yeah. <laughs> I respect it. Holler at me later, all right? <laughs> And it's really hard to walk away from money on the table because you're like, if I walk away from this, I need this money. But here's the thing is, if you accept that, you're going to keep getting that. And so here's the thing. Nicki Minaj, I don't like her music. But Nicki, as a feminist, as a woman who, like, owns her own power, I respect her so hard. And she told this um, story, and I use it now, No More Pickle Juice. She showed up at a um, photo shoot, and they had like three things on the rack for her. And catering had pickle juice and like a jar of pickles, not even like real food. So she looked around, she's like, no. And she walked away. And her agent was like, Nikki, you can't walk away. Like, we're supposed to do this shoot. She was like, here's the thing. They just gave me pickle juice. If I keep accepting pickle juice, they're gonna keep giving me pickle juice. So I'm saying no to pickle juice and she walked out. And I was like, Yes, we got to start saying no to pickle juice and stop accepting pickle juice in our lives, in our personal lives, in our business lives. It's important to tell people exactly how you want them to treat you. So that comes in standing your worth and being like, no, I won't accept it. And then how they take it is none of your business after that. Yeah. If they understand your value, they'll come back when they have enough money for you. If they don't come back, well, go get somebody who does understand and can pay you. And that's fine. And you interviewed Oprah? 
I did interview Mother Oprah. Oh, man. <laughs> that was a moment. Um, that happened by happenstance. I call myself Forrest Gump. <laughs> you know how Forrest Gump ended up in all the rooms? And you're just like, oh, okay. I'm like the Forrest Gump of blogging. Um, so this year, Oprah did a Super Soul 100 list. It's her first list that she's done, um, and she picked 100 people. She handpicked 100 people who, who she thinks are elevating humanity. And the Super Soul 100 list is split into five categories, uh, entrepreneurs, entertainers, givers, igniters, and teachers. So I fall into the entertainment. And I like asked the person that owned, I was like, wait, Oprah picked me? Like she knows who I am? She like had to pick every person on the list. So she had this brunch in April where um, when Oprah tells you to come to LA and have brunch, you go. <laughs> um, she had, so she had a brunch for the Super Soul 100 and it's this list has like Ava DuVernay on it, Deepak Chopra, it has like Ariana Huffington. It's like this amazing list. So to even be on it, it's just like, what? So somehow 70 of this 100 end up in a room together. NJRE, Jesse Williams, God, he's bae. Um, <laughs> can I just tell you, he's not fair. Like, the guy you see on camera, when you see him in person, he's even more attractive. And then he has a nerve to be funny. And then he's not too short. And he's very passionate, too. And he's looking so at him, you, I'm just like, don't get lost in his eyes. <laughs> and he's super smart. Anyway, so at this brunch... <laughs> what happened was... What happened was... <laughs> so at this brunch, we got to do a photo shoot with Oprah. Well, so the own team is like, oh, my God, we like love working with you. You're amazing. And I was like, oh, my God, y'all actually know who I am. So they invited me to come back to L.A. in June. And they wanted me to interview the cast of Greenleaf. Greenleaf is... One of the newest shows on OWN. And Oprah plays like the shady auntie. So they were like, oh, you're gonna you know, interview the cast of Greenleaf for OWN and it's gonna be live streamed on like Facebook and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, cool. So I'm assuming it's the cast, not Oprah. Like not counting Oprah, because you, you, you should say you're gonna interview Oprah and the cast of Greenleaf. <laughs> <laughs> the day of, they were like, oh yeah, surprise. You're interviewing Oprah. I said like, in real life. <laughs> so after the, the screening happens, I'm sitting there holding the own mic, they've mic'd me up and everything, and Oprah comes, and it's actually like sitting right here, so even closer than you are. She's like, hey, lovey. Girl! <laughs> Stop! So I got to, I was supposed to interview her for five minutes, end up being 10 minutes, and like during the interview, um, I, I was talking about like her character's hair in, the, in that show, it's like epic afro. And she was like, you know, hair is a big deal. I was like, I know I just cut mine because I had mid-back locks up until April. And she was like, really? And then she turned to me and became the interview and was like, Lovey, what's going on with you? <laughs> I was like, girl, let me tell you, Oprah. Um, <laughs> I was like, you know, I feel like I'm going to a new way. Like, I'm getting a new book. And she was like, oh. And then she, like, grabs my head. Chat, anointing, okay? <laughs> I was like, I received <laughs> And then after we finished the interview, she gives me this hug. And like when Oprah hugs you, it feels like clouds and yeah. like <laughs> dreams realized and, and, and money. Just. <laughs> and then like there's a picture of her stroking my head some more and both of us cackling, okay? So that was my moment when I was like, I've been anointed by Oprah. I can die now. So it was amazing. It was amazing. So, so I met Oprah a 
I guess about two years ago, and it's like magic. <laughs> it's like magic. No. And I just wanted her to be okay. Like she, everyone takes so much energy from her, from her and I just wanted to give her energy. I just wanted, and I kept thinking, afterward I was like, what was I doing? <laughs> <laughs> I should have just taken all the energy everybody else was taking from her. But you know what? But I was like, here, Oprah, take my energy, take my energy. There's something very common about her. She's amazing. So, like, so when people like, did you fangirl? There's something about her that keeps you from fangirling. She has this very calming spirit. Yeah. And I also think it's the way she carries herself yeah. in general. Like, there's, there's people who are rich who carry themselves horribly. When you see them, you just feel the anxious energy. They're not comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. And then it kind of puts you off ease. And I've met a billionaire who's that person. Then I'm just like, whew, there's a lot of anxiety there. Yeah. Oprah is like, she walks yeah. in and you're just like, I feel your center. Right. Yes, I don't even talk like this. I just, uh -huh. Exactly. So grounded. Like she's like, and it's a hug. You, it's a hug. It's a hug. And yeah. she just like she hugs you with her whole like being, which And it's she, sincere. It's very it's sincere. a testament to her spirit too, because to be Oprah has got to be very difficult because yeah. people see her and they don't let her leave. And, um, at uh, Essence Fest in July, they did a, the Queen Sugar screening there and they did a uh, cocktail party. Now, the cocktail party was invite only. So own handpicked people who were going to be there, like 100 people. Celebrities are here, like people who are influential. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Hey, it's Michelle Miao. It's hard these days not to get a question about when I'm getting married or when I'm having kids. I get it. Marriage equality is legal now. I'm in my 30s and in a committed relationship. Marriage may not have a time limit, but what about having kids? I have a lot I want to accomplish before growing my family, like becoming the next Oprah. If I want to wait, what are my options? Join myself and our partner Pacific Fertility Center for a free seminar on egg freezing November 3rd from 6 to 8 p.m. Register at PacificFertilityCenter.com. Space is limited, so register now. That's PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot -E com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. At the party, Oprah could not leave. Yeah. Because as she's about to walk out, people swarmed her. And these are people who are notable. 
and they did that to her. Right. And I was just like, can you imagine her day to day of having to function and when like people who are rich and famous themselves freak out and don't let you move? She was trying to move and her team, of course, was trying to be the bad cop. And people were like, will step in front of her. Like, this is Oprah, somebody who stopped right here and be like, oh my God, I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like freaking out on her behalf. Like, I would, f- I, right. I can't. That's what happens. That you can turn you into an introvert. Right. Yeah, like I was just like sitting back like, that dad didn't try to make any contact with her. Because yeah. I was like, it's too much around her all the time. Yeah. I don't know, man. She's amazing. She's a unicorn. So, so, so let's talk about pop culture for a minute. Yes. I'm going to give you a category. <laughs> and you can pick where you want to go. Okay. We can either do movies, we can do TV, or we can do music. TV. All right. Let's do TV. And tell us what you think. What's, up, what's about to happen? Give us, give us some wisdom. We are in the second golden age of television right now. I firmly believe that because TV's killing the game. Yeah. Right now, no matter what type of content you're into, you can find a really good TV show. Like, and then I also love the fact that black women are running so much of television. Like, we have Courtney Kemp running Power on yeah. Stars. We have Shonda running ABC. Right. <laughs> Like, I ain't got to talk about Thursday only. No, like, just, just give her all of ABC. And the fact that actually the president of ABC is a black woman. The black woman takeover is happening. Um, it's a beautiful thing to see because here's the thing. For such a long time, we were locked out of it. And then Shonda came, changed the game, and was able to show that, look, here's this really black, this, this is a show led by a black woman scandal. And it killed ratings so hard that finally somebody else at a different network was like, let's do this here. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I'm a huge fan of everything that's happened. Netflix is killing. Netflix also changed the game. And here's why competition comes in handy. Netflix, House of Cards changed everything. Yeah. You know, because House of Cards is what made the, was it the Emmys? Emmys. Yeah. Change the categories. categories yeah. Like, and create a category because they were like, we can't ignore this really good show. Um, game of Thrones is killing. So right now, I just, Blackish is one of the funniest television yeah. shows. On. And I think Hollywood needs to recognize, one, this is not a trend. Like, we're not just hot right now. We're hot in general. So we need, we need access into these rooms, and you need to let us tell our stories. Uh, so I'm excited. I am hoping we shall see. Mm. Maybe TV's next for me. What? <laughs> but let the record show I am not an actress. I can only play lovey. So I don't want to necessarily be in, in front of the cameras, but I would love to write for television. Really? I think I could. Oh, you what? absolutely could. <laughs> you absolutely could. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That would be cool. I actually have to find an agent, apparently. <laughs> See, I just want to write. Meanwhile, a, I got to find an agent. You have a lot stuff. of stuff to do. I do. It's overwhelming. But... Apparently, like, getting an agent is the first thing, but I'm kind of like, okay, we'll see what happens. We'll see. So when you look at the next, let's say, 18 months, I don't want to restrict you to 12, I don't want to get you to 24, let's say 18 months, what are all the things you want to do? Run the world. Um, No, I'll be a terrible ruler, Um, because I'm too too petty, I hold grudges. Um, (laughs) That's my superpower. I just, I'd be like, oh, that person, I ain't like them, she can't work in my, no. I think, you know what? I hadn't thought past what I wanted to do after this book. I really hadn't. Like, the book was like my stop. I, had, I was so hyper-focused on making the book happen 
I didn't look beyond it. Yeah. So when people ask me now, I was like, I guess TV. Um, I guess maybe write a second book in the next 18 months. Wow. Uh, maybe I'm still judging you. I don't know. Was <laughs> 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 judging you 2.0. Um, I actually would like to try my hand writing a TV show. My book is getting some interest, so we shall see. But awesome. I'm open to seeing what the universe drops at my feet because honestly, my career has been a testament in that. I, none of this was strategy. None of this was like me five years ago being like, okay, and then I'm gonna write a book and then I'm gonna do this. No, I've always just done what was right at the moment, what yeah. felt right at the moment, what I enjoy doing. And doors opened and things happened. So I figured that's worked so far, so I might just keep that going. But I also wanna um, speak on more world stages and tell white people to do better on grander stages. <laughs> that has been what I've been doing the last two weeks, to be really honest. Uh, using my voice to continue to make some like real change is something that I want to do, always, actually. So not just in the next 18 months. So, so tell us about the Red Pump Project. Yes. So as if I wasn't doing enough. Uh, when I was in college, I actually, when I was a counseling standard professional, I had an extra semester to do whatever I felt like doing, because I'd already hit all my credits and done all the work. Um, so I was like, oh, I should do a, a show about a, an illness that's like affecting the world. So I started doing research, and then I started seeing HIV and AIDS stats and the fact that something like 40 million people had died around the globe. Um, so then I started putting on the show, and in the process, I met somebody who had 20 cousins who were orphaned in Malawi, and they were all living with their grandmother. Like their parents died of age-related complications. And for me, I was like, I didn't know this was still a thing. I thought it was handled because I didn't hear about it anymore. And since then, it had been something in my consciousness. So in 2009, I was having a conversation with one of my friends, and I was like, I want to do something around HIV and AIDS and red shoes because I figured that that would get people's attention. And she was like, you know what? One of my friends just found out that he's HIV positive. His brother's HIV positive, and their mom is having a hard time with dealing with the fact that two of her sons are living with this epidemic. Um, so we wanted to do something around women because we know women are the caretakers. We bear the brunt of everything. Um, and we live in silence while doing it. So that's how we started the Red Pump Project. We got bloggers to talk about it on March 10th, National, which is National Women and Girls HIV and AIDS Awareness Day. We were like, no matter what it is you typically talk about, on this day, here's some stats, wear some red shoes, and tell people why this is still an issue. And 135 bloggers ended up doing it, which blew our minds because we sent it to like 20. Um, and so Red Pump became a national nonprofit organization. We have uh, teams in four different cities and states, and we do workshops around HIV and AIDS and empowerment. Because, you know, Chimanda Adichie, who's my favorite, one of my favorite writer, she said, we teach girls shame. And it's something that Red Pump wants women to unlearn, that shame that comes with being sexual creatures. Like, you want us to be freaking the sheets but have no experience. How? <laughs> like, we can't be Blanche. <laughs> if we're virgins, mm -hmm. and so our, we, our whole thing is like, okay, if you're gonna have sex, here's some condoms, here's how you're gonna be safe. And if you are living with this epidemic, you're not like a leper. Like you're not, there's nothing wrong with you as a person. So our whole goal is to like decrease stigma, talk about this kind of thing on Twitter. If you can talk about it on Twitter, you can talk about it to your partner. And you know, give people options. So we've worked with like the US Embassy, we went to Haiti last year, and uh, and did workshops for 900 people in a week and gave out 6,000 condoms. So yeah, that's Red Pump. That's amazing.
so we're going to also start lining up for questions. And we're going to line up over Middle? here oh, right uh, for questions. So if you have a question, please hop in line. Uh, so I have another question for you before we take some questions from the audience. What's your favorite thing to write about? Like, what, what makes gets you excited and gives you energy and gives you life? What are, those, what are those things that you enjoy, really enjoy writing about? Shenanigans. <laughs> I really just enjoy writing about a lot of stuff. Because if I was writing about just one thing, I would have quit writing by now because I'd be bored. Uh, I enjoy being able to, to like hit a point where somebody's like, I didn't think about it like that. Mm. And that happens probably more than I know because I get some notes when it happens sometimes. Uh, being able to hear from somebody that like my content somehow changed them in a way. So like yesterday I was in Seattle, uh, somebody came up to me and said she didn't plan on coming because she was having the roughest year of her life and she was like, ah, eh, I feel like going, but my friend forced me to come. And she's like, this night and some of your content has been the reason why I've smiled in some of my darkest hours. Wow. And I get those things and I'm just like, yes, I will keep on talking about shenanigans and black sit. Let's keep that going. <laughs> so yeah, like things that make people really kind of escape from the terribleness of the world. And then I talk about the terribleness of the world, but sometimes in between it, you laugh even as you're reading about the terribleness of the world. So. Well, you're funny, you know, so it helps. I am a fool, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Should we fool go to questions? Hello, welcome. Thank you for coming. My name is Tiffany Black. And so my question is, where can I, my friends, and everybody else in this room get judgy pops? You need to put them on your site, like the big giant ones, like make a big giant one and just have it so like we could buy it for our friends, full size judgy pops. Just staring at you. I, okay, so... Yeah. I know. Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. Judgy Pop is expensive. Um, <laughs> okay, so Judgy Pop, which is an act the actual lollipop that's on the cover. It's yeah. an actual lollipop, strawberry flavored. And you have one on your... And I have a lapel of it, but I'll tell you about that one later. So the actual sucker, um, I should have had it here, but I've been, I I'm low. I need to reorder Judgy Pop. Um, to have to sell Judgy Pop, I feel like Judgy Pop needs to be one of those special items that if you have it, you either saw me in person or I sent it to you. So I don't want Judgy Pop to be like available for mass consumption. But, so the form that you can get Judgy Pop and mass consumption is the pin. The pin that I'm wearing is on uh, Pin Vibes LA. You can also go to I'mJudgingYouBook.com. It'll give you a link to it. So you can buy a pin of the Judgy Pop and wear it on you. Um, so yeah, I... I don't know, I want Judgy Pop to be highly exclusive, you know? <laughs> Judgy Pop is a, is a highfalutin broad, okay? <laughs> highly exclusive, okay? <laughs> so we have time for one more question. Um, so you mentioned a little earlier, um, at the beginning of the year, you started this blackest year ever. Mm -hmm. um, and like, we've got the months, like we've just carried Black History Month right on through all of 2016. Yeah. At the same time, there's been a lot that's happened in 2016 that has caused a lot of sorrow in our community. How do you balance celebrating this, the blackest year ever? All the accomplishments we've made, but all of the negative and all of the murders and all of the very, the racial discriminations and everything else that's come along with it. How do you balance that content with your followers? How do you deal with it? yourself 
Um, just kind of enlighten us on that. I feel like celebrating blackness even in the face of tragedy is revolutionary. Thank you for joining us for this week-to-week presentation of a recent Commonwealth Club program. I'm John Zipperer, host of Week to Week, and I invite you to find us online at commonwealthclub.org and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.